0: On this episode, I'm gonna find out if you have the goods, the chops, the it, redhead quarterbacks, and finally, me forgetting something. What's up everybody, this is Gary Vey, Nerd Chuck, and this is Ask Gary Vee, episode six. Jason asks, what's the best way to use Facebook dark posts? Jason, what's up man? This is a great question to start episode six with because it's a general question that I want everybody to pay attention to. Jason's asking about Facebook dark posts. You might be figuring out how to make Instagram work or the up and coming amazing Pinterest CPC ad platform or anything native ads on Outbrain and Tabool and Hexagram. The real answer to this, Jason, is to become a practitioner. The right price for your ads is always a moving variable based on supply and demand competition, all that jazz. The way to become good at it is to do it. You can go, step one, go to YouTube and Google and look up all the information and figure out how to become better at Facebook dark posts. Read 30 articles on all Facebook.com about how to be better at Facebook dark posts. You can do all the homework, but until you apply it's just knowledge isn't it and I love students but only so much and so the answer to your question my friend is very simple become educated and execute that's how everything works for every single answer on all these issues to find out the right price there is no right price Jason the right price is the right price right this second because of the supply and demand curve of what you're trying to apply if you're trying to sell furniture and you're one of two people buying ads on Facebook Dark Post for furnitures, your cost is gonna be a better deal than in three weeks when five people are there trying to bid that up. Supply and demand, supply and demand. Don asks, do you feel it's still a necessary call to action to push subscribers from social channels to a website or newsletter sign up? Don, who says I ever thought it was a necessary call to action because the answer is I didn't and I don't. No, I don't. No, I didn't. What I mean by that is, Sure, I think it's a good idea to push to a website right now, especially if you're selling something on that website. But in a world where you can buy that same product right on Twitter, right on Facebook, do you necessarily need to schlep somebody to your site to make them buy that when when it's native right for them and they could just buy it in there? No, the answer is no, isn't it? Because friction sucks, right? Friction sucks. and consumers do not want friction. So anything that allows you to execute within the place you're in, that's what you're gonna like. And so, my answer to your question is less and less every day. People always say, Gary, why aren't you driving people to GaryVaynerchuk.com? Why are you putting out content on YouTube? Why are you putting out content on Medium? Why are you putting content on LinkedIn? Because I want awareness. So I'm putting out content for awareness and to build relationships with all of you. That's what I'm doing. And thus... What that is doing is creating a scenario where those channels allow me to do that. Just because I'm not driving them to my dock. You know how many people give you bad marketing advice that say you have to drive to your website? For what? To collect the email, last time I checked, a tweet card that collects email has been the most efficient way that I've collected email better than driving to my com. For what? What are you, selling advertising on your site? If you're selling advertising on your site, then maybe that's the thing you can do. But you can also sell advertising to people within your social channels and run that arbitrage. So the fact of the matter is, Don, is that I think people are just not really that educated on what they're trying to achieve. And so I've never been worried about forcing somebody to a dot com unless that was the right strategy at the right time to drive the result. The fact that even e-commerce, buying within a tweet and a Facebook post, is now gotten native to the platform has eliminated a lot of the reasons that you have to drive somebody. Nam asks, how did you deal with working in a family business? Nam, very carefully. Um, family businesses are difficult. I'm in my second one. My dad, my brother. Uh, uh, I look forward to my one with my kids one day. Mishan Xander, if you want to be an entrepreneur, call me. Um, you know, I, I, I think the real answer is, Nam, the reason I've had two successful family businesses is very simply, and kudos to my dad, um, and kudos to my mom, and kudos to just a lot of fortunate things that allowed my dad and I, and now my brother and I, to allow our love to trump our, our pride, our competitiveness, our business POVs, somehow, in our specific situation, probably predicated with a lot of hard work, specifically from my mom, more than you would think, and my dad, um, and then the incredible natural DNA that they gifted me. Uh, we have created a situation where we've allowed at the end of the day for us not to lose focus on the fact that we love each other more than we care about getting our way. Nate asks, what did you think of the Dalton deal? Nate, ironically I'm one of these kind of people that actually believe very heavily in Andy Dalton, and even though he crapped the bed in the playoffs, um, I actually thought it was a good deal. I thought they should lock him up. Quarterbacks are tough to come by, especially red-headed quarterbacks. That's a big shout-out to the redheads, not the other way around. And finally, uh, I just thought it was a solid signing that many of you in the comments section will disagree and say he sucks and this and that, and the bottom line is we'll see. We'll see in 10 years. I will come back to this episode, go into the comments, and I'll leave, give you your props, or I'll say, told you, Tyrone asks, does the demand for your attention get overwhelming? T, very honestly, um, the, the demand for my attention is something that I'm so flabbergasted and humbled and grateful for. I'm sure it's overwhelming. I'm sure it's probably overwhelming right now, but I'm unable to quantify that against the enormous pride I have and and thankfulness and just glee overall that people actually want to watch a show where I give my two cents. I mean, and I'm giving three cents here, motherfuckers. And so, um, you know, the the answer is uh, um, it doesn't feel super overwhelming. Drekin asks, if you had to do it all over again today, would you start with Wine Library TV or Wine Library first? Dragon, great question. Man, I, I've got to say something. Look, a couple things actually before I answer the final question and sign off on this show. Dragon. Uh, that's a great question, but two things. One, you guys are killing it with questions. I'm hitting the hashtag and seeing these all come through. I, I'm completely blown away. I, I mean, I, I was a little worried that they'd all be the redundant same questions. You guys are coming from all sorts of angles, so I appreciate it. And two, you know, this may be a scenario where some people's questions who watch the show every single day are not gonna get answered for the first six months because of the lottery of the randomness and so I apologize up front, keep asking them, thank you so much, I'm humbled. And to answer your question, hands down, I would do it over again exactly the way I did it. Having the comfort that I built this enormous business before I started the show, put myself out there in this zany way, Um, and had that ear cover of uh, respect for what I accomplished and what I knew helped me so much. If I started the show when I came out the gate when maybe I didn't know as much about wine, I didn't know as much about the wine business, I didn't know as much about the audience, it wouldn't have been as good. You know, (laughs) chops, skills, uh, the goods, they have a funny way of working themselves out. And so no matter how you roll, if you can bring it, it's a hell of a lot more consumable. I appreciate the questions on episode six. The fun fact for the number six, you thought I forgot? The fun fact for number six was, it was the first roulette number, there's been a lot of roulette themes, oh actually, uh, that I added to my repertoire in 10 years because I met Lizzie, born on the sixth, added to the repertoire. Hasn't done that well, Lizzie. You, with a little bit of me, we're changing the Q&A world, whether they like it or not. Oh, crap, wait, subscribe! I need subscriptions because I can't push this many right hooks in social, so I know you forgot, for everybody that waited for the black screen, I appreciate the patience, and I'll see you soon. Subscribe!